welcome to part two of this episode. We're glad to have you back. And without further ado, we'll jump right into it. The Lord revealed that ordinances in the temple were not exclusive to baptism and confirmations, that there was something to be continued with that. I don't want to say even greater because I feel like there's this belief sometimes in the youth that they're like, oh, we're just going to do baptisms. But line Mm -hmm. upon line, we can't do further ordinances until this has been done. You're building the foundation upon Mm -hmm. which we can then build. And so definitely not greater, but of equal importance, that would be another ordinance available for everybody to receive. Yeah. I love that perspective. Not necessarily greater, but just more. Yeah. So uh, the saints continued to ask questions and there were questions that Joseph Smith had in particular from the Old Testament that mentioned endowments of power. Uh-huh. And he received a revelation. He was able to present to the saints an endowment session, which would be a time to learn about God's plan and to make covenants. These uh, sessions included washing, anointing, clothing, and covenant making. And so the dedication of the temple would need to include a solemn assembly, which... I have um, kind of defined here that the term solemn assembly was used in the Old Testament to describe gatherings of people during the Passover and the Feast of the Tabernacles of important moments, spiritual moments, because the dedication of the first temple in Jerusalem during the reign of Solomon took place at a time of solemn assembly. The term also had an ancient connection with temple dedication. Solemn assemblies continued after the Kirtland Temple dedication, often as dedication ceremonies, but also on other significance, such as sustaining a new church president or to accept additional revelations into scriptural canon. Mm -hmm. Church leaders have also called for solemn assemblies on other sacred occasions, including the dedication of the conference center. Um, We were able to participate in general conference with the solemn assembly a few years ago. And so it's always when something sacred has been revealed that the people can gather together in this assembly. And so Joseph was able to have a solemn assembly on the upper floor of his store. I think he was a little bit aware that his life was coming to an end. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know by how much. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. But it sounded like he knew that with some urgency, he he needed to prepare people to participate and know how to officiate in the endowment ordinance. Um, and so his store, they, they tried to make it resemble the interior of the Kirtland temple that was being built as much as possible. Uh, he gathered nine men that he trusted and instructed them in the principles and order of the priesthood. He recorded that they also attended to washings, anointings, endowments, and communication of the keys pertaining to the Aaronic priesthood and so on to the highest order of the Melchizedek priesthood. This meant that they were then able to administer these ordinances to Joseph and Hiram. Joseph explained that there was nothing taught to these men that other saints, including men and women, that they would not be able to learn as soon as they were ready and a proper place was prepared. So this was the first example of an endowment session. Now, we read about in the Old Testament, um, there are two particular instances that come out to my mind. There's Jacob, who went into the wilderness and it wrestled with an angel and he came out with a different name. Mm-hmm. It's very vague, but someone has proposed it's very likely he received his endowment in the wilderness, and that was why he was able to receive a new name for himself. My second instance was the Mount of Transfiguration, which was likely an endowment of power for Peter, James, and John, just to be there and receive a knowledge of God's divinity and personally learn of it. 
So there were examples, there were hints towards things like endowment ceremonies that were mentioned in the Old Testament, but never in a full restoration setting. Mm -hmm. Before I get to that, though, sorry, I'm talking a lot. So if you have anything you want to say, <laughs> please no, feel free. You're good. I love it. I just, I love <laughs> hearing about this because it's just cool to kind of also reflect on like you mentioned a little bit ago, how Joseph probably was aware that like this was something that needed to be revealed or at least mm -hmm. begin to be revealed that he mm -hmm. kind of, I bet, had known for a while or had had hints or, you know, just some knowledge about this endowment of power. And then he probably, I'm sure, was pretty aware, okay, I'm my time is getting getting closer and mm -hmm. I want to bless these people. I know that they're going to have so many more trials coming mm -hmm. and they need this power. And I just think that's cool. I loved that part, that end of that quote that you said that they would all be able to learn these things as soon as they were ready and a proper place was prepared. Yep. And I love that it's not like confined to just, a, just these nine men or just a few people, but that everybody yep. that is worthy could mm -hmm. go and can go now, which I love. It's amazing. Um, that's perfect because uh, we'll kind of come, we'll circle back to that about how much the saints understood the power of being able to receive their own endowment and then to later by proxy receive endowments for others. Endowment sessions are learning about the plan of salvation, which was discussed in the previous season, mm -hmm. and um, being able to learn what God has, uh, what covenants He would like us to make. And as we make those covenants, that we will be able, able to receive greater blessings, but have more power in our lives from God. Um, I will definitely get more into that with my later episode where we focus in a little bit on initiatory and endowments and what that means. But basically, I, and I think the first endowment session was almost like nine hours long or something. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It was pretty long yeah. in my memory. Yes. I don't remember how exactly, but. Uh-huh. And thank heavens, it's a lot more standardized now. That's oh, something yeah. I think I think President Nelson, more so than any other prophet of at least my memory, has really standardized. Let's make sure mm -hmm. it's the exact same in each language, yeah. in each presentation. That's been a lot to make sure that everybody receives the exact same experience. Mm -hmm. And yet you will experience things differently with who you are when you go, which is why I think it's so important that we can receive the endowment for other people. Because again, as you go at different times in your life, you will learn things that you had never caught before. You know, like, you yeah. know, like when you read the scriptures and you're like, I've read this a million times, but I'd never thought of it this way, you know? And that's the blessing of, of going to the temple. Same with, you know, the parables of Christ that we're studying about in the New Testament this year of, oh, I'd never thought about that that way with the Samaritan. As we continue to go as we are, we will always get more out of the temple, um, yeah. which is great. It's a place of learning and making covenants. That's what the uh, endowment ceremony is very much about. And nowadays with initiatories, we are symbolically washed and anointed. Um, that one, I, I couldn't find exact material to say how it was exactly for the first few endowment sessions of mm -hmm. receiving anointings and washings, but we know that Aaron partook of that in the Old Testament. I did want to point this out because I think this is very interesting. I've heard this come up a lot. Have you heard a lot about Freemasons in the early church? And yeah, the I have actually. Mm -hmm. uh, we know that Joseph and many other brethren of the church were members of the Freemasons. Uh -huh. And there's been a lot of claims that the symbols that we encounter in our temple were taken from the symbols of Freemasons. 
Um, however, we know many symbols are shared and universal concepts. And there are many factors, such as the washing, anointing, and ceremonial clothing that is worn uh, that are totally unrelated to masonry and actually derived from Christian and Old Testament rituals. Mm -hmm. Again, we have examples of these. Uh, Freemasonry teaches about the relationship between men as like a fraternal brotherhood, mm -hmm. whereas the temple is concerned with the relationship of men and women with God. So although there are a lot of similarities, I think it falls in line perfectly with the idea that I think every religion out there has truth, has fragments of truth. Yeah. And yet the restored church is where the Lord is able to bring all of these pieces together and to restore them and more fullness. Something I think is cool about that is I just was reading up on this before and I was trying to remember what it was because they're in Nauvoo, there's like a Masonic hall that they had built. And mm -hmm. I was trying to think, okay, what was it that they were telling us about how it had to do with the temple? Um, and just something that I thought was interesting is when there are kind of those like claims or whatever it may be about those connections, I think it's also important to remember where it's coming from, right? That historically, like that was a very mm -hmm. popular group to be a part of culturally, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. there were lots of those church leaders who were Masons long before even joining yep. the church. But mm -hmm. kind of going back to that principle of like revelation line upon line, I think it was in maybe one of my religion classes or something um, that it was pointed out like, yes, maybe there were similarities or not, mm -hmm. but just that that maybe was one of the ways that God was able to kind of get Joseph Smith thinking about this so he could ask yeah. the right questions to restore like those ordinances. And I thought that was cool that it's not, it's not the same, right? It's different. Right. It's focus on different things, but that it certainly could have been just one way that Joseph was able to get to the point where he could ask the questions that he needed to ask so that God could reveal those ordinances and covenants and things in the temple, which I think is really cool. I really like that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, one, one book that I've used heavily for all of preparing for this episode was called Wilford Woodruff's Witness, The Development of Temple Doctrine by Jennifer mm -hmm. Ann Mackley. I cannot cool. recommend it enough. It is amazing <laughs> because she goes through his over 7,000 pages of his journals. That's a lot of pages of journal. It is. And Joseph got the ball rolling, but Wilford Woodruff very much in his ministry refined a lot of temple uh -huh. doctrine. I think he was almost even, even more so involved in temple development uh, than any other prophet. Yeah. And so... Uh, Wilfred Woodruff had mentioned masonry in his journals, but never in connection to temple ordinances. Mm, and so cool. similarities, sure, but there was a lot of things that were very different from Freemasons that they didn't have some of those ceremonial clothing and things that we do yeah. in the temple. That's so, cool. Yeah. I love Wilfred Woodruff. He's, he's my amazing. Guy, <laughs> like it started with the first chapter of how many times he almost died and it's crazy like this guy I need to read this book <laughs> oh man he he was told by Joseph Smith that he, that Wilford Woodruff Joseph Smith told him he said Wilford you have been marked by the devil and he is doing everything in his power to kill you and it's <laughs> oh only goodness. by the power of the Lord that your life has been spared because it you go through he has like almost 30 instances of his life being electrocuted to death being Whoa. trampled to death like I'm telling you it is this guy and he just said he couldn't catch a break i know he said there are two forces fighting over my life and 
we'll just have to see which one wins each battle. And I was like, that is, wow, that is nuts. So, and the fact that Joseph was like, you're a marked man was like, oh, <laughs> no joke. <laughs> Satan always works the hardest against the people oh, he knows are going to make the difference. It's so, true. Yes. Uh, so I was going to say, we were going to circle back to how uh, the saints, after they had built the temple, were under threat of extermination that they had to again leave their temple, which would be so difficult. But many saints stayed to receive their endowment before leaving. They didn't know when the next temple would be available and they wanted to have those blessings of uh, having received endowment and instruction and having made those covenants before they left. I love that you had this. This is my little favorite story to tell. Do you it want to go ahead and read it? I, I would, would love to get more of you. I would love to. <laughs> um, I so this was in for reals when I was serving in Nauvoo in Brigham Young's house. I would tell mm. the story and we would like look out the window at the awesome. temple. And <laughs> it just I think it is so cool because you kind of put it in this context, right? This is after Joseph Smith has um, gone to Carthage jail and been martyred, and you have these kind of like defeated saints for a while after yeah. um after his death they they not took a pause but it was hard right it was hard sure. for them to it keep was, going what um, was the future it, gonna be exactly like you don't know who's who's next what's happening now what are we supposed to do and i think it's one one thing that is just a testament to God's hand in this work is that it didn't just completely fizzle out after Joseph's yes, death. And didn't I die. It wasn't Joseph's church. Exactly. It was the Lord's. And it still is. It is the Lord's church. And mm -hmm. I think you see that in the lives of these people. Um, Brigham Young, there's a quote somewhere. I can't even remember, but he's like encouraging the people. He says, okay, keep going. We are going to keep building this temple because we need it. Right? We need mm -hmm. this endowment. And so the saints at this point have been prepared. It's been now like a year, a year and a half since Joseph's death. The temple was very close to being done. Actually, kind of interesting. They would dedicate it in like pieces. I'm pretty sure. I hope I'm not wrong about that. But they, <laughs> like, they dedicated, okay, we've got the basement done. We can do our baptisms for the dead. And now let's dedicate this next floor so that we can start doing these washings and anointings and endowments. Um, it actually wasn't finished when Brigham Young left Nauvoo. So in February, they're being very threatened um, by, you know, all of these persecutors, the mobsters, whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. um, and they're being threatened. And so Brigham, he gets, he gets some people ready. He says, we are leaving like today. We're leaving as soon as we can. Mm -hmm. um, and he has been working all day in the temple, these saints, there were only a few of them, right? Or not as many of them as we have now, of course, who mm -hmm. could work in the temple and who could actually administer these ordinances to people. And of mm -hmm. course, all being done live and right there, you know, no fancy videos or anything. The people that were mm -hmm. working in the temple were there like hours and hours, practically living there. Um, if I remember correctly, Brigham Young mm -hmm. had probably recorded somewhere or something that he had been there for a really long time. Um, and so he gets up the next morning and he's like, I'm leaving. We have to get out. It's, it's not smart for us to stay here. Um, and the saints are waiting outside the temple. I imagine just in like droves, like they're just there, mm -hmm. they are waiting. And he's kind of telling him, he's saying, listen, we need to 
get out of this city. It's not safe. We're going to build more temples later. Um, and you're going to have the opportunity in the West. You can get your endowment then, basically. Mm-hmm. And I like to think of this probably as a humbling moment for him. I he bet. walks away and he looks back and the people are just going inside the temple anyway. Um, it says that instead they climbed the steps of the temple and filled its halls. He looks back and he sees them. And I just kind of imagine that moment where he probably maybe realized, at least this is how it goes in my head, that he looked and he said, these people know what they need to get to the West, to get to the point where they can build another temple. They need this endowment of power to keep going. Um, And so he changes his mind. And they spend the whole rest of the day giving these ordinances to the saints. Um, And it was like 500 people the next day received their endowments as people are literally leaving Nauvoo. Um, And (sighs) I just love that because it's so amazing to see that perspective that they had. Like they were in danger. They needed to leave, but they knew that they could not leave without first binding themselves to God. Mm-hmm. And I think that's I what gives them the strength. And I just think it's the coolest thing. I love it so much. Their dedication. They worked so hard. They sacrificed everything to build the temple. And then they made sure that they had the opportunity to go there before they left. Absolutely. Oh, I love you sharing that. It is, it's a humbling moment. I have um, in my temple preparation class, uh-huh. I talk about how it's important to realize that your endowment, receiving your endowment is more than just another step. It's an essential and glorious part of your eternal journey. Mm-hmm. The word endowment means a gift. In this context, the temple endowment is literally a gift from God whereby he bestows sacred blessings upon you. It can only be received in his way and in his holy temple. Some gifts that you receive through the temple endowment include greater knowledge of the Lord's purposes and teachings, power to do all that God wants us to do, divine direction and protection as we serve the Lord, our families, and others, increased hope, comfort, and peace, and promised blessings now and forever. And I would imagine, of course, the saints know they're under extermination order and they will do anything so that they can receive those blessings and to have that personal relationship with the Lord because they're going to get tested, they're going to get tried, and if they don't have a strong foundation, I don't think I could have made that whole trek without knowing why I was doing it. Oh, and definitely not. That's why it was so important to them to risk their lives to receive it. They needed that. Man, it's just, yeah, it's really beautiful. It's so cool. Yeah. And I think oh. it kind of, I don't know, just my thought is it really puts into perspective like today, you know, we don't we don't have to sacrifice one out of every 10 days to build the temple or mm-hmm. be like on the edge of being driven out of our homes just trying to get in to go just once, right? But mm. like it's still a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. In our own ways, we still sacrifice every time we go to the temple and it might not be as dramatic as these saints, but I think God sees that sacrifice just as equally and helps us in those ways that we need, right? We're not trekking from Nauvoo all the way across to who knows where in Utah, right? But Mm -hmm. he sees those sacrifices and I think he gives us that same level of power that he gave them and we need it just as much. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Our temple president shared a thought during one of our training meetings that with each new temple the Lord puts on the earth, the community around it has to live up to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. And they kind of rise out because a lot of them become 
temple workers. Yeah. We may not be going on a trek, but the world is a very dark and scary place. And when we go to receive more knowledge of the Lord's plan, it can give us hope. And we bring that into the communities that we live in and the people mm-hmm. that we work with that whether they're members of our faith or of other faiths, they, they can see that light that we have in our eyes that we're able to shine um, with more hope than um, I think otherwise. I can't imagine going through this life without having some of these promises that we receive in the temple. I don't even want to think about it. That would yeah. be hard. <laughs> Great. You want to go ahead? We'll we'll move on to ceilings. Any other thoughts that you'd like to share? No. Yeah. Let's move. Let's keep going. Great. All right. Very good. So, uh, we've talked about you know baptisms, confirmations, um, endowment, um, initiatory. Just basically means anointing and washing, and that's part of the endowment ceremony. And then we end with ceilings, which, as I mentioned before. Oh, it's just one of my favorite things on, on earth is getting to see ceilings. Um, actually, I'll share this story. I was um, I was at a friend's wedding, very dear friend of mine. She and her family are devout Catholic. It was a beautiful service. I was very thankful I was able to go. That's cool. Um, I only messed up one thing because I was a maid of honor. And I was like, <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. And I... I had, we just finished up the ceremony and I congratulated myself on not messing it up. And right then I'm walking across the room and I didn't realize the couple had stood up to turn to bow to the altar. And they're in the picture, they're bowing to me. Like I was right there oh, no. in front of the altar. And I was like, Duh, dang it. everyone was really nice. I was like, I'm just this girl who has no idea what I'm doing. But anyway, one of her friends afterwards, they asked me, they said, what is, this is the way they phrased it. They said, what's the difference between our Catholic weddings and your Mormon weddings? Uh-huh. And I gave it some thought and I said, the phrase, till death do you part, is never said in the temple. That is yeah. not something we believe in. We believe that families are eternal. And so it's for time and all eternity that you're not making this choice. And then till death do you part, it is for life and eternity. That was kind of the thing that stood out to me. And I think they were both pretty impressed by that. Um, that, yeah, we have this perspective of eternities, but God's plan is all about families yeah, and forging these families. Um, whether you're married or not, you're a part of a family. And whether you have good relationship with your actual family or not, you've got ward families, you've got your ancestors, you've got, you've got family. And that's mm-hmm. what this church really is about. I have this uh, quote in October 1841, soon after returning to Nauvoo from a mission in England, Elder Wilford Woodruff attended a meeting at which the prophet Joseph Smith taught the doctrine of the redemption of the dead. It was the first time Elder Woodruff had heard that living members of the church could receive saving ordinances in behalf of their ancestors, which we have talked about. But he said, it was like a shaft of light from the throne of God to our hearts. It opened a field wide as eternity to our minds. He also commented, it appeared to me that the God who had revealed that principle into man was wise, just, and true, possessed both of the best of attributes and good sense and knowledge. I felt he was consistent with both love, mercy, justice, and judgment. And I felt to love the Lord more than ever before in my life. I felt to say hallelujah when the revelation came forth revealing to us baptism for the dead and other things. Um, He mentioned that he immediately thought of his mother who had passed away. She had died when he was 14 months old and he had never known his mother. And he said, I have power to go forth and seal my mother to my father. And that word was yes. And he spoke about when he had the opportunity to have his mother sealed to his father for time and all eternity and said, she'll have a part in this resurrection, and that alone would pay me for all the labors of my life. 
And so it's, it's really awesome that we get to forge these families in the next life too. Mm-hmm. I had the privilege of seeing this. My cousin uh, was sealed. He was baptized later in life and he had two children, um, two younger children and his mm-hmm. wife. And she got to, um, they got to go. We got to be there while they received their endowment in the Gilbert, Arizona temple, which I love that temple, by the way. That one was actually, I'm going to get to talk about this later in my podcast, but the Gilbert, Arizona temple was a temple designed specifically to be a place for Heavenly Mother to be, Oh wow. which is so cool. That's really cool. I feel like I need to go there now. Oh man, it's so pretty. The Payson temple is very similar. Um, they look pretty similar, but anyway. Okay. Um, and then after they had received their endowments, they were sealed for time and all eternity. And then their two little children dressed in all white came in and they were able to kneel across the altar and be sealed. And I remember the spirit was so powerful, but after they finished the sealing ceremony, the ordinance, all of them stood up and huddled together in a hug. And I just remember that moment of them huddling against all of the bad things in this world and nothing could break that family. Oh, they got to kneel across again. the altar yeah. and, and that sealed. was just... I, I still will always, that's like, that's what I picture when people say ceilings. I picture that huddling family, huddling together and, and joy of the Lord um, and joy for eternity. And I was like, that's just, ah, that's so incredible. Cool. I think I just got chills hearing that. That was like such a beautiful image. And I love that. I just was going to say, it's a testament to that, that quote that you had by Wilfred Woodruff, that it would alone, that alone would pay him for all the labors of his mm-hmm. life. I feel like that, that moment for that family, for everybody that gets to absolutely, we all have that opportunity, pays us 100%. for all the labors of our life, makes everything worth it. Which um, I'm going to do an episode about the importance of genealogy and family history. But I remember uh, going through a census and finding, matching and making sure each family had all the people that were accounted for in uh-huh. family search. And as I was going through, I found a child that had died about two years old. And I went, oh, they're not included in this this record here on the computer. So I went through and I added that that child's name there. Mm-hmm. And of course, since they were younger than eight, they did not need to receive the baptism or confirmation for themselves. But as soon as I added them, I heard the words in my mind so clearly of, you found me. Thank oh, you. That's Power really big, cool. Just like this child's has been needing to be sealed to their family. Wow. And that just was a testament to me. Um, I just remember that has always stuck with me that when a husband and wife is sealed for time and all eternity, that all children they have after that are born into that covenant that they make when they are sealed together. But for families that have children that they were never able to be sealed in life, that all of those children will be, have the privilege to be sealed to their parents mm-hmm. as if they had been born in the covenant basically. It's a it's a good promise to me. The Lord will know that not all of his children will have the opportunity to be married in this life. It's fun. It's great. That's my my personal favorite. Uh, <laughs> I had to tell my mom the other day, I said, with how young all the young men are, or like young single adults in my ward are, I'm either marrying a millennial or a millennium. Oh. There's nothing in between. It's, it's One rough. Of the two. <laughs> oh, life. So, it's, yeah, it's great. But... <laughs> We do know that all those who accept the gospel and strive to keep their covenants will have that opportunity to Mm -hmm. be sealed and to have children, whether in this life or the next, which is, that makes me happy that that's a thing. I love that. So 
now the saints had this opportunity when they were able to build for their temples to be sealed together for time and all eternity, to be sealed to their parents, grandparents, you know, and um, every temple has by the altar has mirrors on both sides so that as you look and they reflect each other infinitely, that's supposed to symbolize you, the link that you're being in your family that has passed on to your family that's coming someday, that you're a link that binds them together. And that's what ceilings are all about. But uh, yeah, we can't really talk about uh, our religion without mentioning polygamy. That one is a big question that a lot of people have. And that is something that I think the Saints book particularly did a beautiful job covering the ups and downs, the ins and outs of this. And so I, I we won't be able to dive too deeply into this, but in terms of ceilings in the temple, a lot of ceilings were performed for, um, for polygamy marriages, basically. Um, we do know that throughout the Bible that this, the Lord had commanded for um, someone to be able to take multiple wives and to bear children in righteousness. We know that happened with Abraham. Um, we know that happened with, uh, with many people out there in the scriptures. And we do know that when the time the saints uh, settled in Salt Lake, that they needed to raise generations in righteousness to walk uprightly before the Lord. And that it was important that so many women had become widowed during the trek. It's, it was brutal. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so for some women to be able to join other families to make sure they were being taken care of too. Uh, not all plural marriages were performed uh, physically. <laughs> mm-hmm. Many, many plural marriages were done um, by ceilings because we believed that everyone has the right to a ceiling. And some people wanted to be sealed to families for eternity. We know the Lord will work out all of this in the next life, but many um, sealings that were performed were done spiritually only and that the people would never live together or have children together, but their sealing had been into this family. Does that make sense? Am I saying this yeah, no, <laughs> in any way I that makes that. sense? I, I okay. love that perspective to kind of going back to, we were talking about sealings a second ago and how, how sacred it was to them when mm-hmm. that was revealed. Right. I imagine their excitement learning about baptisms for the dead was incredible. They're saying, yes, they can be saved. Another thing on top of that, where it's like, not only are they are they saved, are they able to come back to be with God, but we can be together. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was probably just like the most divine revelation. And so I, I think in relation to polygamy, um, something that we talked about in one of my classes once was just about how... Really, they revealed that ceilings are are a thing, right? They're they're mm-hmm. instructed about them and um, told about them, and then kind of their goal. I think I think it's important to remember their perspective, right? As they were establishing Nauvoo and all these places, in their minds, it was very. If you read the Doctrine and Covenants, I feel like you see a lot of times. I'm coming quickly, right? And and he still is. But I think especially at the beginning of the church, it probably felt like this was like an immediate, like we need to get ready for this to be happening and we want everybody to be sealed. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't have the same, the records or the things that we do now. Mm-hmm. And so I've heard and um, learned a little bit just kind of about their perspective. And I, 
one of the things that I like when we think about polygamy and there's, there's, we could probably, you could do a whole podcast on polygamy. I'm sure I could. <laughs> um, and there's so much information in, um, on the church website, there's articles mm-hmm. and all sorts of things about it, but they were seeking to let as many people have the opportunity to be sealed together as possible. And I kind of like to think of it. They didn't have the records we have now. And so their ceilings were like horizontal instead of vertical. Mm-hmm. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Like now like we are trying to do ceilings. We say, okay, let me go back and see how far I can go. Let's seal back. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have those records. They didn't have all mm-hmm. of that information or really even that proxy work. And so how can we connect Joseph Smith and Heber C. Kimball and Brigham Young's families? How can mm-hmm. we all be connected? Let's um, perform these these ceilings um, mm-hmm. that, yeah, we're we're polygamy, but I think we're also just a way of connecting them to each other so that Absolutely. they can be prepared for when the Savior came. And I love that kind of I really like that. That's fabulous. Thank you. I hadn't thought mm-hmm. of it that way. You know, when you listen to the Saints book, a lot of women that were in polygamous marriages had very prayerfully and carefully considered yeah. it. And I, I think history likes to paint that these lustful men were just taking women against their own will. But mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of women especially in the Utah legislation, they would defend the practice. A lot of educated women, these were not just, oh, take advantage of these poor souls. Like this was very much a lot of the marriages entered into. I can't say all because we can't account for what everyone does, Um, but um, the practice was meant to be a blessing. And it was definitely uh, something that women tried to change national opinion about we're educated women we're not just you know totally yeah. oppressed we're not just and being taken advantage of exactly and then and we know oh sorry go ahead oh and i was just gonna say along with that i feel like their faith that went into that like it was intended to be mm-hmm. blessing and i think it was i think it also was really difficult for some of them if anybody listening has ever had questions about polygamy or just wondered about some of those things. Saints 2 is my favorite mm-hmm. resource that has just taught me so much about, mm-hmm. about their experiences with that. And I cannot recommend it enough. So, yep, absolutely. I think very much people pass judgment without knowing the stories yeah. and the people who actually went through that and their stories being told. So hundred percent agree. The Saints books are all amazing. They're if amazing. you don't have time to if you don't have time to read that thick book, I listen to like 10 minutes while I get ready every morning and it's it's great. <laughs> it's a huge fan. A lot of those ceilings were also performed and then the manifesto came out in 1890 that the saints adapted to that God no longer required this law of his people. Um, uh-huh. And anyone who would enter into new plural marriages after the manifesto would be accountable to the church. And um, now... It's a practice absolutely finished. It makes me kind of sad when you when you hear about uh, branches of people that still can that still continue polygamy. And in those mm-hmm. documentaries, they always show the Salt Lake Temple. That's like the first thing, and it's like we haven't done this in over two hundred years. <laughs> Stop showing our temple. Yeah. We don't believe this. Uh-huh. <laughs> just, oh, I don't want to say just let it go, but like obviously it's an important part of our history, and I don't think we need to we should forget about it. I think we should talk about it, but uh-huh. it's sad that that our church is still associated with with continuing practices of plural marriage. Yeah, that is not true, even a little bit. Yeah, yeah, not even a, a little bit, not even slightly. Yeah. 
so yeah, these were again all of these blessings. There was a, a revelation. I maybe should have started with this earlier. Joseph Smith received in 1843, uh, talking about how there were degrees of celestial glory, which again, mm-hmm. I talked about in my plan of salvation episode, but, um, we believe that in order to obtain the highest degree of glory and to live with God for eternity, to have our families there to cre- continue to create families, you would need to have all of the ordinances of the temple received. And I, I strongly believe that there are ordinances that we have not received in this life that we will continue to get to receive. I don't think mm-hmm. the ones that we have in the temple are all that there is to it, but we have been assured by the Lord that those ordinances are all that we need to have in this life. And, um, and then we'll continue to make covenants. And so that was, again, just that essential for people, for your loved ones, for yourself to receive celestial glory, these ordinances need to be performed. And that's why I think it's so merciful the Lord has revealed that so that we have that chance to continue in that work of building up the kingdom of God. But we believe that every child of God will have the chance to have these ordinances performed on their behalf and then to be able to make that choice of if they would like to accept those ordinances or not. Um, God is just not cruel. He's not going to to destroy everybody. I remember having the impression when I was a kid that the God of the Old Testament seemed so angry all the time because it talks uh-huh. a lot about like destructions, right? But as I was rereading the Old Testament last year with my family, I was like, I think it's so merciful that he sent prophet after prophet after prophet mm, to yeah. prophesy repentance. Like this is the full degree of mercy. They got every chance they before got they every got chance. <laughs> It's like, if you haven't figured this out yet, then they be dumb or just not listening. Because I was like, yeah, no, none of these came by surprise. The Lord prophesied. Uh, it's not like it was a sudden thing. It was, no, he warned them. He said, you know what's going to happen. It's like 500 years of warning them. And then it happened. Then, yeah, so. <laughs> anyway, that's just the, the hope that we can end on that the temple provides us for everyone and that the Lord will make sure that no one is left behind. Do you have anything you'd like to say? I'm going to kind of wrap up on this quote, but if there's something else you'd like to add about anything we've discussed, feel free. Yeah, I feel like just, I guess a recap, I just think it's amazing how how merciful God is. Just like you were saying, he, he wants every single one of us to return to be with him. And that's what the temple is all about. And that's why he has inspired his prophets you talked about even in the Old Testament and and up till now to be able to help as many of his children come to him as possible. And that line upon line, just that little bit by little bit, he has led us to be worthy of the temple and we get to have that blessing. And I think it's just just amazing and I'm so grateful for it. So absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I wanna end on um this quote. Uh, So I added a little bit of my thoughts that we now have the ability and responsibility to perform these ordinances, and it would be so regrettable to pass through life and through the veil and to see our ancestors and have them ask why we didn't do anything for them when we had the chance, when we had our whole life to go to the temple and provide the ordinances for them. Yeah, like I said, I'm going to end this quote. We have been called as saviors upon Mount Zion, while the kingdom has been the Lord's. These are glorious principles to be saved ourselves and to save our fellow men. What a glorious thing. What is gold and silver? What are the riches of this world? They all perish with the using. We pass away and leave them. But if we have eternal life, if we keep the faith and overcome, 
We shall rejoice when we go upon the other side of the veil. I rejoice in all these things. There is hardly any principle the Lord has revealed that I have rejoiced more in than in the redemption of our dead, that we will have our fathers, our mothers, our wives, and our children with us in the family organization in the morning of the first resurrection and in the celestial kingdom. These are grand principles, and they are worth every sacrifice. Just very much a call to, please, if you have a recommend, please try to make it to the temple as often as you can. Pray to the Lord. The Lord knows your schedule very well. He'll help you find the time to do it. For those who don't have a recommend, please work towards getting a recommend. Uh, Whatever you can do, work on that process towards going to the temple, even just being on the grounds of the temple and feeling the holiness that's there, uh, the space that's set aside, and just think about how you get to be that link in forging your family. That's It's pretty incredible. That is one of the greatest blessings of the Lord, really, are these temples. Samantha, it was an absolute pleasure getting to discuss this with you tonight. Seriously, thank you so much for your time. <laughs> yeah, thank you for inviting me to be on here. I loved it. I never pass up an opportunity to talk about the early members of the church and the temple and all of it. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today, listener. I hope that you were able to feel the spirit today and learn something new. As always, I will post all of the resources used and discussed in the episode notes. If you're interested in learning about more about The Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints and our beliefs, I will also include a link for resources for that. And with that, I think we'll end this episode. So thank you so much again, Samantha, and have a celestial day.